Uh, this morning we will be continuing in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, and we're going to be starting at verse uh, 19. Um, as we've been making our way just through Ephesians 2, uh, Ephesians, Paul starts out telling us how it is that we are reconciled to God. And then last week, um, we saw in particular how we're reconciled to each other, and, and in particular, how, how Gentiles are, are reconciled with Jews and, and become one family of God. Uh, this week, we're going to see uh, some of the implications of this and, and maybe understand, hopefully, a little more deeply, who are we? Who are we um, as the church? Let, let's look now uh, to our passage this morning, starting in verse 19. So then... You are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you uh, be with us now? Would you bless our time in your word? Would you speak to our hearts this day? Would you move us? Would you change us more and more, leading us more and more into the image of your Son? Oh, we pray. Speak to us through your word. Help us to know the good news of the gospel better as a result of our day together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I was thinking about that, it, it actually surprised me that it was this long ago, almost 20 years ago now, um, Adrian and I took a mission trip with some kids uh, to New York City, um, kids and some other youth leaders, and, and the, the missions trip was uh, to the Washington Heights area of Manhattan. Now, that Washington Heights is as far north on the island of Manhattan as you can possibly go, um, about two-thirds Dominican, sometimes it's called the Little Dominican uh, Republic. Um, and so our ministry was to go there, and in particular, ministering to uh, young children, kids um, in that area. And the really odd thing was, while we were ministering in that area, we were actually staying in the dorms of King's College. Now, at that time, King's College was, now it's down in the financial district, but that time, King's College met in the Empire State Building, was where their campus was. And so their, their dorms were diagonally across the street from Macy's, right there in Herald Square. So that's where we were staying as we were doing this mission trip, right in the heart of, of Manhattan, in the heart of everything. And yet, what would we do each day? We would go down, we'd get on the subway and take about a 35-minute subway drive up um, and come out in Washington Heights. And when we came out up there, it was, in some ways, very disorienting. You, you were in a whole different world. All the signs were in Spanish. And everybody looks at you like, you, you don't belong here. You, you know, we, we, we were foreigners um, right there. And that can be incredibly disoriented, disorienting. Paul, this morning in our passage, uh, speaks to the Ephesians of something similar, of, of the disorientating nature, I, I think, of what they're going through um, as they are coming to grips with who they now are. Let's look at our passage this morning, starting in verse 19. What, is, what, what does Paul say? He says, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. No longer strangers and aliens. And, and those words, strangers and aliens, those are like categorical words that would be used in that day. And they had particular meaning. For a stranger, 
uh, would be a foreigner in the land. Somebody who's coming in from the outside, passing through for a little while, and they ha- would have no real rights. Okay? Now, then you also have the aliens, right? Now, the aliens would be people who, you know, they're like resident aliens. You, you might think of it uh, today. Uh, they, they may have grown up in Ephesus. They may have grown up right there in that region. They have jobs there. They live there, but they're not citizens, okay? Not, still not citizens. They still don't have all the full rights associated um, with being a citizen. Now, what's interesting here is in Ephesus, in that day, in Paul's day, there are probably less than 1,000 citizens in all of Ephesus, Okay, we know that from some later documents about 100 years after, uh, but probably like 1,000 citizens. Now, there were probably in Paul's day over 125,000 people living in Ephesus. Okay, so the vast majority of people who lived there, they, didn't, they weren't citizens. They didn't have the rights of citizenship. So as, as Paul, as, as he writes to the people of Ephesus, he's writing to a people who largely, most likely many of them, maybe mo- probably most of them, aren't citizens. They don't know what it is to have true citizenship, okay? And as we're going to get to in chapter 6, some of them that he's writing to are even slaves with even less rights. And that's what makes his next statement so incredible as we see as he continues in verse 19, what does he say? But you are fellow citizens with the saints, okay? They who weren't even citizens in this world, didn't even know what real citizenship looked like, to have all those rights and and all those privileges. Paul says to them, you are citizens of the most incredible kingdom of all. It it should be jaw-dropping. It should be breathtaking. It would have been uh, for them. The Ephesians, he's telling them, you are not second-class citizens. And they are citizens along with who? The saints. Those You can think of the, the Old Testament saints. He says, you're right along with them, even as we heard last week with this connection of Gentile and Jew. You are citizens right along beside Moses and Elijah and Elisha and David. You're citizens right alongside of Abraham, Father Abraham. I'm reminded I was thinking about him as I was thinking about this guy. You know, what does God call Abraham to? He, he calls him and he says, I'm going to give you this great land, right? He says, I'm going to give you this great people, I'm going to give you this great nation. He makes all these incredible promises to Abraham, but, but Abraham doesn't get to really see the fruition of those things, does he? We, we read in Hebrews 11, we read this. By faith, he went to live in the land of the promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Where was he? You know, he, all these incredible promises, and he's living in a tent. But he has faith, and what do we read? For he, for Abraham, was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. You know, we see where his ultimate hope lied. Not in the foundations of any earthly city, but in the foundation of the great city built by his great God. Do you, this morning as you're gathered here, do 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 you know where your citizenship lies? Do you really understand your citizenship? Are you somebody who lives out just trying to, you, you think you've got to somehow earn your citizenship and don't realize that you already have it right now? Or, or better yet, maybe you're far more concerned about your citizenship in this world than in the citizenship of heaven. Do you think far more about your citizenship in this one right here than that of our citizenship in heaven 
Where does your priority lies? And, and we could even expand this, right, to think of all the ways that you and I, we look to this world to make us happy and whole. We think somehow the things of this world are going to fill us up and they're going to, they're going to make us whole. And many of us, maybe you've seen even the last couple of weeks as your stock portfolio has gone down and down and down, how is this world doing, your citizenship in this world doing at making you happy and whole? Where does your citizenship really lie? What is it that, is your, is your citizenship firmly in that of our great God, our great King? Our citizenship is in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. But, but it, he, said, he doesn't just tell us that we're citizens, right? Let's look back at verse 19. What does he tell us also? We are members of the household of God. We're family members, he says. This is language of intimacy. This is language of that we have a seat at the table. And when you think about what we, we talked about last week of the Jew-Gentile things, Paul's saying, you have a seat at the table. Jew and Gentile can sit together. That can never take place before. A Jew could never eat with a Gentile lest he be unclean. And now you're all a part of the same household, able to sit at the same table And it's astonishing, too, because do you remember what Paul said about us earlier in chapter 2? What did he say we were formerly? We were children of wrath. And now, he says, we have been brought into the family of God. Back in chapter 1, verse 5, he said, He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Do you know the truth of that? Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, the image of adoption tells us that our relationship with God is based completely on a legal act by the Father. You don't win a father, right? Appropriate, we're thinking about this on Father's Day, right? You don't win a father, right? You don't negotiate for a parent. Adoption is a legal act on the part of the father. And it's very expensive and costly only for him, only for the father, There is nothing that a son does to win or to earn the status it's just received, right? How do you live? Do you live like an orphan? Or do you live, do you live striving to get the approval of your father in heaven? Do you know this morning as we're gathered together, do you really know the reality of the father's love for you? I'm struck many years, years ago, I ran into an article, and I'm going to share it with you, and I may have shared it before. But the author says this. He says, Christians sometimes come to him and his wife, and they ask us if we know anything of our children's real parents. And sometimes they're asked, do you have any children of your own? Now, they say, you know, we know people, that, that, they mean well, they're well-intentioned, but their words are incredibly problematic. Russell Moore puts it this way. These well-intended words reveal that too many of us are still accompanying to think biology is more important than legality. That somehow the opposite of real parents is fake parents. That the opposite of your own, own children is children that are not your own. That there's something about adoption that makes us think somehow that, that relationships are less real. But what we need to do, what you and I, what we need to do, we need to put on gospel-centered glasses and ask ourselves, am I really a child of God or not? 
Is God really my father or not? Is Jesus really my brother? And for those who trust in Jesus, the answer is unambiguously yes. We need to remember. We, we're gathered together as a bunch of Gentiles today, right? Now, I technically say I'm a quarter Jewish, and that's not too shabby. For those of you who know the Adam Sandler song, I have some Jewish roots in me. But we're, we're, we're Gentiles, right? And we need to remember we don't have a biological connection to Jesus. We began our lives in a different household, slaves of a different master, but we have been adopted. And our, our new legal relationship is true, real, and glorious. Sometimes that good news that we're adopted in the family can be hard to believe, can't it? Um, in one of his, his books, John Owen, he talks about that struggle for, for you and I to believe the Father's love. And he's encouraging us, we, we need to receive it, we need to know that it's true. And in fact, he says, there's really only one thing you can do to really trouble and burden your Father. You know what he says it is? By your unkindness in not believing it. The way that you burden your father, the one who so wants to lavish love on you, isn't by the right, anything else, but by just not believing it, by just not receiving it, by just not knowing the incredible love of the father for you as you are brought into the household of God. Paul tells the Ephesians, you're no longer aliens, you're no longer orphans. He tells them, he tells us that, that we, if we're in Christ, we're citizens, we're, we're citizens. Members of the household of God, this is our new identity. And we need to think deeply through, how is it that we live? Do we live as though we are aliens, as we are orphans? Or do we live as citizens, as children of the Most High God, resting in that which is already true of us, that, that you already have the paperwork that proves your citizenship? There's nothing you can do to undo it. You've already been legally adopted. You have all the rights and the privileges of children of God, and this is true for all in here this morning, who have been made alive in Christ, who have trusted in Him as Lord and Savior. But, but Paul goes on. He, he doesn't just say that, we, that, that we're now citizens and that we're now a part of the household of God. What else does he say? In verse 20, he begins to speak of us in a different way. He begins to speak of us as a building built on a foundation. It's kind of strange language, isn't it? Like, we, we get the idea of being citizens. Uh, we get the idea of, uh, of being children, but we're a building? Or, or maybe better yet, in a way, he's talking about us being the building material. Okay? And, and not just of any building. As, we look, as you look towards verse 21, what does he say? It's the, the building of a holy temple. Now, as they're hearing this, um, the Ephesians, no doubt, they're, they're thinking of two competing temples in their world in that day, okay? There, there's the, 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 the temple in Jerusalem, that mighty, that great temple of that day in Jerusalem, right? Or if in Ephesus, they're also thinking of what was also um, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world right there in Paul's day, that, that temple to Artemis. These grand, incredible temples, temple in Jerusalem, temple right there in Ephesus, these grand, incredible temples, right? 
And now here they are as believers. Yes, they're citizens. And and yes, they've been adopted into the family, but they have no place to worship. They, They have no temple to go into. They have no grand temple to worship at. And it's in that context that God tells them something amazing. He says, I'm doing something much more incredible. I don't want a a building made out of stone. You, you are my temple. You, Christians, you, you are now my temple. You are that grand house. Do we understand that? Do we know the incredible truth that we are now that building of God? And that building comes with with great implications. I don't know if any of you, you, maybe you've seen Kung Fu Panda at some point or another. About a panda bear who's completely out of shape named Poe. He longs to be like a great Kung Fu warrior, right? But he's anything but. And yet, amazingly, in the context of that, uh, is select, Poe is selected by the village leaders, right? And he is selected to be the dragon warrior. Thank you. The dragon warrior, the greatest kung fu master of all times, right? And he begins his training, and that training, it doesn't go very well. At one point, he says, how am I supposed to beat Tai Lung, the, 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 the great villain, and I can't even beat you up the stairs, he tells his master. And what does Shifu say? You will beat him because you are the dragon warrior. Now, for Poe, that's like impossible for him to understand. He's been given this, this new identity, but for him, it, it feels so foreign, right? And I think sometimes it's that way for us. Paul tells us we, we have this new identity as, as citizens, as part of the family, as this building of God. And sometimes it's, it's hard for us to truly understand it, truly comprehend it, and truly know the truth of it. But we need to know it. And to know it that it's not just some vague truth or something for us to just sit around with and think of, oh, I'm a citizen, isn't that great? Or I'm a part of the family of God, isn't that great? We need to bask in that and enjoy that. But, but this new status is given to us with an incredible, an incredible purpose. As we look to verse 20, what are we told? Is we're told a little bit more about this building. In verse 20, we, we read that... that, that, that we're built on the foundation. This, this building is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. The, the first layer of it is this, the, those first century witnesses of Christ who began the building of this great temple. A helpful way to think of it is just think of them, the, the, those early apostles and prophets in the New Testament, that they, that, that, that they are the representation of the foundation of the word because that's really what they were to the New Testament church. They were the word going out before, before we had it written down so we could have it right there in front of us. They were the word going out. And he says that's the first layer, but underneath that layer there's something else, isn't there? Christ Jesus, we read, himself being the cornerstone, the foundation stone, that the first stone that is laid. And here Paul is likely referring to Isaiah, where Isaiah in Isaiah 28 says this, Behold, I am the one who is laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. You see, the people of God, 
We, the church, is built upon this cornerstone. The one who we read in verse 21, in whom the whole structure is joined together. You see this whole structure. This building is, is, is totally 100% dependent on what? The cornerstone that is Jesus Christ. And because he is the cornerstone, it's a completely stable, right? You, you remember the, the parable of Jesus tells about building your house upon a rock, building your house upon a stand. And you see what happens. Jesus is that rock upon which the foundation of this great temple, the, the church, is built. And make sure we understand that he is the foundation. Sometimes I think we get it mixed up and we think, you know, the foundation is me. The foundation is not dependent on our successes or our failures, but totally on Jesus Christ and him only. And Paul tells us in verse 21 that this structure, this temple does something amazing. It grows into a holy temple in the Lord. This new temple It's better than any of those other temples. So much greater than that temple back in Jerusalem. So much greater than that temple there in Ephesus. This one is made up by the people of God. And unlike those previous temples, those previous temples were static, right? This one is organic. This temple grows. It multiplies. It spreads. As as more come to know Jesus, what happens to, to this temple? It grows. This temple, this, this temple isn't geographically just present in one place. You know, the, the temple in Jerusalem was, you know, it could have gotten bigger, but it has its limitations. This temple isn't geographically present in one place, but is growing. And it is growing and it is spreading to the very ends of the earth. And it's through this holy temple that the Lord is able to fulfill that, the initial intent that he had for all things. You remember back to Genesis 1, 28, and God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves. What does he tell them? Multiply, fill the earth. That very intention that we hear renewed from the very words of Jesus and acts as he tells the apostles right before he ascends into heaven. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So that from that day on, from, from, from whenever Jesus sent his Holy Spirit in Acts 2, what's happened to the temple of God? But it's grown and it's grown exponentially. And let's not miss the fact that his temple continues to grow today. It is continuing to multiply. You know, we can think sometimes in our context that it seems like things are shrinking. That is not the case worldwide. As it continues to grow organically and multiply, that there are more believers today than there were yesterday and there will be even more tomorrow. As this holy temple begins to do this incredible thing of encompassing the entirety of the earth. And Paul goes on to say that this temple, as we read in verse 22, is a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God 
by the Spirit. And and here's what's incredible. By, By sending Holy Spirit to his temple now, he begins to fulfill in part what he promises one day to fulfill in whole. Looking forward to that great day, that that great last day that we read about in Revelation 21. And I saw no temple in the city. No temple. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. And we, the body of Christ, get to be that church. Now, I want us to think for a moment, what what does all this mean for us, okay? It's enough for us to contemplate just the wonder that this is true of us, our citizenship, being part of the family, um, that we are this great temple that that multiplies and grows. But I want to remind us of something important. Paul speaks, and we've already seen it in our passage, even just in verse 22, over and over speaking of what? You, you, you. Let's not miss the fact that except for like two or three times in the book of Ephesians where Paul's quoting the Old Testament, every single one of those yous is plural. It's all you all. It's all y'all. He's not just talking about me. It's not just things for me to hold on to. It's things for us as he talks about our citizenship. It's our citizenship. How lonely would it be to be the only citizen in the kingdom? Right? Right? It's, we are part, you are part of the family. We are part of the family. Family would be awfully lonely if there was a family of only one. And we would be an awfully pitiful temple if we were but one brick, right? Paul here is talking about us. He's he's talking about the importance and, 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 in fact, the priority, I think, of the church in God's great mission, you know, sometimes we, we get this idea that, well, we can just worship God wherever we want. It's about, about, about me and God and my Bible and, you know, our personal relationship with Jesus is, is very important. We, we need to have a vibrant personal relationship with him, but, but, but let's not miss that we are called to be a people. God's people, that we are called to be a temple, not not just individuals, but we are called together. And that you and I, there there is nobody in here this morning who does not need the church. You know, as as I was studying for this and at the same time finishing up a a study in Galatians with some of the men, I was reminded of, of this. In Matthew 11, Jesus says this, come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What does Jesus tell them? Come to me and I'll take your burdens from you, right? And I'll give you, I'll give you what you can. I'm going to give you a yoke that's, that you can handle, that's easy, the burden that is light. Similar to what was said in, in Psalm 55, Cast your burden on the Lord, and He will sustain you. This beautiful picture that we have in Scripture of God doing what? But taking our burdens upon Him and taking them from us, and that is incredible, right? What I think in some ways should leave us in more awe is the way that He so often carries our burdens. 
Do you know how he does that? Often, not always, but quite often. We read about in Galatians chapter 6. What does he, he tell the Galatians? Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You and I, we, we need the church. We need others to, to, to take upon themselves our burdens. How, how, do, how does Christ bear our burdens? Often he bears our burdens through the church, through the body, that we're able to bear burdens that, that, that nobody can bear alone. And we can come alongside individuals. We need the church. So we in here need the church. There's something else really important that we need to make sure we get right. And that is that the world, the world desperately needs the church. Okay. The church is the means by which God has, 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 has ordained that this great kingdom will grow to the very ends of the earth. It's through his church. You know, just think about it. This language of temple and us being the building. What, what, what was the temple? That the temple was that place where heaven and earth meet, right? That's what it is in reality, this place where, where heaven and earth meet. In fact, uh, David even talks about how that Ark of the Covenant and that mercy seat of God, that that is actually right there in the midst of the temple, in the heart of the temple is God's footstool. You see that place where heaven and earth meet. And how wonderful, how incredible, how just, in some ways it might, maybe should make us tremble just a little bit, that God makes us collectively his temple, that, that we are that place where heaven meets earth. And, and that we, as those who are citizens, who are, who are part of the family of God, what are we able, what are we equipped to do, but we are able to take out and to bring out to others the good news of our great king. We're able to bring the good news of grace to a lost and dying world, to a world that struggles and thinks somehow they can do it, somehow, somehow they can save themselves. The world, whether it knows it or not, desperately needs the church. The church is the means, Paul's telling us here, about, about how this holy temple grows, how things multiply to the very ends of the earth so that every tongue, tribe, and nation will proclaim him as king. Maybe there's even some in here this morning who need the ministry of the church this morning telling you the good news of the gospel that you desperately need Jesus because you don't have him. Oh, I would encourage you that, that these things that we're talking about, if you're in Christ, if you come to him confessing your sins and proclaiming him as Savior and Lord, these things that we're talking about this morning are, are at that moment true of you. Suddenly you are, are no longer stranger you're no longer an alien, pure fellow citizen, member of the household, and another brick in that incredible building of God, the holy, holy temple, a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Do you, do we collectively, do we know this morning that we are no longer aliens, no longer orphans? but citizens 
members of the household of God, the holy temple of our great God. And we, we have a great calling before us. A great calling to surely first to know who we are. Maybe even more importantly to know whose we are. But we also have a great calling as, as the church, as this body, to care for one another and to be the heralds of the gospel into this lost and dying world. Do you this morning know who you are? Do you know whose you are? And do you know your great purpose, our great purpose as the church? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, to be honest, many of many of the things that we've just read about and heard, they're amazing, they're jaw-dropping, they're, they're, they're at times so hard for us to believe that we're really citizens now, really children now, really a holy temple right now. And yet your word, your word reminds us that it is true. Oh, would you help us to believe this day, help our unbelief. Would you help us to go forth, and even as we continue with song in a moment, would you help us to rejoice? Rejoice in who we are in Christ. Rejoice in all the wonderful benefits. And would you help us to truly be the church that you're calling us to be? Caring for one another, bearing one another's burdens, and being the church that the world so desperately needs, sharing the good news of the gospel with the lost. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the reminders yet again of the wonders of your grace. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.